Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church, Goodyear, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Man, it is so good to see you guys on 4th of July weekend. You know, when you're a pastor, when these holidays come, you have these like night terrors in the middle of the night, and you just show up, and there's going to be no one there to preach to. It's kind of like, you know, going to work naked or something like that. It's like irrational fears that you have and you know, when, you're, when you do certain things. But anyway, um, I don't know why I brought that up. But it's great to see you guys. It really is. And I'm always so grateful for every Sunday that you come. And you guys rock. And it's, I'm, I know a lot of your individual stories. And um, it's amazing to be able to journey with you. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Psalm chapter 27. We're starting a new series today on the Psalms called Open Mic. And it's going to be kind of fun. But it's also July 4th weekend. And so what I wanted to do is tell you my very favorite July 4th story. And... This happened about 28 years ago. I was visiting my relatives, my aunt and uncle, and my cousins up in southern Oregon, in Roseburg, Oregon to be exact. My uncle was a pastor, and still is a pastor, um, different town now, but he was the time in Roseburg, Oregon. And I, was, I came up to visit him. We went to a Christian camp uh, up there in the northwest, and then we came down. Um, a buddy of mine had gone with me. And it's July 4th, and my uncle's a pretty cool guy, and he got, got out when we went out and got a bunch of fireworks, and I love fireworks, you know, I love lighting them off and everything, and so we were, um, we were in this, we went to his church, and, and you know, it, it was, uh, there was a parking lot there, and of course the building, and then all around the church was nothing but brush and uh, acreage of open fields, and there was like a barn, and there was some horses and stuff, and it's just brush all around, and of course it's July. Even in Oregon, it's, it can get dry and, and obviously warm, and so um, we're out there, and we're just having a great time, um, lighting off fireworks and everything, and there was this one particular kind that uh, I learned that if you light it, and then you throw it up in the air, uh, it just would shoot off in any random direction. It was really cool to watch it, you know, 20, 30 yards or whatever else. Because if you left it on the ground, it was kind of boring. It would kind of spin, and then, it, you know, that was it. So I was taking these things and lighting them and throwing them up in, in as high as I could and just watching them fly. And there's one that I took, and I lit this thing, and I threw it up in the air, and it just shot off, and it went over the fence from the church over into the field. And, you know, I'm like a teenager, and I'm like, whatever, I don't know. What, what, I didn't really think much about it. My uncle had the sense to walk up, and he kind of looked over the wall, and he said, Tim, he said, you just started a fire. And all of a sudden, my heart just like sank, right? It sank, and it started beating really, really fast, because I realized I just started a brush fire. And so I go uh, running over and look over the fence, and sure enough, I can see the flames, and it's, it's like rapidly, rapidly starting to spread, because it was a little bit of a delayed reaction. You know, he just kind of said, I'm going to make sure everything's okay, and it already started burning. And so um, I, I'm, I'm running. I jump over the wall, and I remember the only thought I had in my mind was, whatever it takes, whatever the cost, I've got to put out this fire. And part of it was, the, the bit of a backstory is, you know, I was, uh, I don't know, 14, 15 years old at the time, and I had kind of been, at that point, a little bit of a hooligan in my life. I've been getting a lot of trouble. I had a little run-ins with the law, and I remember thinking to myself, if I actually am the cause of this fire and basically become, you know, this accidental arsonist, um, I, I don't know what I would do. I mean, I, this dread of realizing that I've started this thing and the devastation that I could cause, and I remember this thought 
And I remember in my mind, I'm just going, you know, Jacobs, now you've done it. Now you've done it. You've really done it this time. And all I could do as my buddy and I began to run as fast as we could towards the flames was I could just pray. I just prayed. I said, God, I am completely in over my head. I, I am completely out of control. I don't know how this is going to turn out. This could be the most horrible thing that I have just done. God, you've got to help me. You've got to be with me. You've got to do something that I don't know if I can do. I don't know if when I get there, if this is going to work, if I have the ability. But we just said we're going to do whatever it takes. And so we, we run up this hillside. And remember, when you're in a panic, you know, you just like everything kind of goes slow and then it goes fast. And, and uh, I was running and I remember there was like, it was kind of at twilight. So I, I tripped and I fell into this hole and, and there was barbed wire on the ground. I tore my sweatshirt. I had this Gold's Gym sweatshirt, which I loved because it was the only evidence at the time that I worked out. <laughs> So people were like, whose sweatshirt is that? It's mine. You know, they didn't believe me. But anyway, um, but it was like my favorite sweatshirt. And I tore it on this barbed wire, and, so, and I didn't care. And I'm running and running, and we get up to the top, and we're like beating the fire, and we're stamping it out. And, and it could have gone a million different directions. I mean, thankfully, there was no wind, and, and it was a relatively calm night. And, uh, you know, we, it, was, it wasn't really that difficult at that point to be able to just make sure we had done everything we could to put that thing out. And I remember just that sinking feeling of panic, like, God, what am I going to do? And what I want to talk about today, when we talk about fear, is that oftentimes when we get afraid, we tend to run away from God rather than run toward Him. What God wants us to do is when we are deeply afraid, when we are like what I was in this panic, like, what am I going to do? We are supposed to run toward him, not away from him, even when we're the ones who lit the fuse, even when we're the ones who caused our own problems, even when we're the ones who are responsible for what it is that we have done. God wants us to run toward him. And so, in any case, I thought you'd appreciate um, the fact that, you know, we did end up putting it out, so you don't have a pastor who is an arsonist, um, at least intentionally or anything else. I, I that, that, you know, then thank God for other things, you know. In fact, I had a chance to share a VBS. Um, we had a great VBS this week, and I got a chance to share with some of your children um, my tomfoolery and stuff that I did when I was younger. I left out the really good stuff, actually, because I'm like, eh, they're like six years old. This is kind of scary for them. But the other fun stuff I kind of threw in. But just so you know, so I got that figured out, but I'll never forget that fear that I had. And it's in moments like that, like God, that God wants us to reach out to him, not run away from him, that God wants us to include him and to cry out to him. And that is the purpose of the book of Psalms. And that's what we're going to dive into over the next four weeks. That's why we're calling this series Open Mic, because it's expression, it's, it's poetry, it's song, it's emotion. It's not just head, it's heart. And I'll confess that um, I give you a lot of head up here, you know, in terms of like, I want you to know what to believe. I want you to know what's true. I don't always give as much heart as I want to or as I'm feeling because I'm so concerned about, I want you guys to be sure that you understand what's true and be sure you know. And yet there's a whole other dimension that is of the emotional, of the crying out, of that softness that God wants us to, to hear from us and to see from us. And so... Today, as we're, as we're talking about this, 
I want you to really cr- try to grasp the importance of this book. In fact, it's so powerful that um, some people, in fact, one in particular, a guy that we talk about a lot named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, uh, and Gabe mentioned him last week, we, we, he's one of our heroes around here um, because he was a, a guy that tried to overthrow um, and tried to assassinate Adolf Hitler and ended up getting caught for it and, and got executed and everything else. But he was a hardcore Christian guy, and he believed that the Psalms were at, should not only be read, but be prayed to God as your own prayers. So when you can't pray, when you don't know what to pray, and how many times have you said, you know, maybe you've been somewhere and you're saying, oh, I want to pray, but I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray. And I've been with so many people, I say, hey, would you like to sleep? lead us in a prayer? They say, oh, I don't know what to say to God. When you don't know what to say to God because you're so afraid or you're so confused or you're, maybe you just don't feel adequate or whatever else, the easiest thing you should do is pray the Psalms. Just read the Psalms as though they were, they, as though you were praying them yourself. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it like this, um, and this is in, uh, from Eric Metaxas' biography on Bonhoeffer. He says, prayer cannot come from us. For that, he wrote, one needs Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying say I agree with this totally, but it's an interesting perspective. By praying the Psalms, we pray along with Christ's prayer and therefore may be certain and glad that God hears us. When our will, our whole heart, enters into the prayer of Christ, then we are truly praying. We can only pray in Jesus Christ with whom we shall also be heard. And the whole point is, is that if Jesus himself was praying the Psalms, you know, uh, Father, um, forgive them for they know not what they do and these kinds of things or whatever he was saying on the cross and he was mirroring Psalms, he was quoting scripture. If Jesus himself was quoting the Psalms when he was in his deepest point of despair, then why shouldn't we understand and learn these Psalms and how David prayed and, and what God was inspiring him to say and we can pray those things ourselves. I'm not saying that there's no way to possibly pray apart from there, but he makes an interesting point that kind of stretches my limitations or my thinking a little bit like, hmm, in his mind, to pray the Psalms was like the most important prayer that you could ever pray. Like, that's pretty cool. And so what we can get from our Psalm today in Psalm 27 can hopefully be something that brings us peace and settles our soul and brings us comfort where maybe nothing else can And maybe we're in a mess that's burning out of control. We're at the end of our rope. We don't know what to do. We've just done something that's caused us all these problems. So I want to look at this, and then we're just going to grab three points out of here that I think can really help us understand and cope with and deal with the fear that we all face. Fears that are irrational, fears that are, that are maybe warranted. How do we get through them? How do we walk through them? So I'm going to read part of it, and we'll just kind of go from there, all right? So it starts off with this. He says, the Lord is my light. And my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. And the first thing we get from this is that God is bigger than anything I could ever fear. Do you believe that? That God is bigger than anything you could possibly be afraid of. He's bigger, he's more powerful. He's bigger than the financial things that you're struggling with. He's bigger than cancer. I remember that there was a... um, a very wonderful family that was attending our church, and, and some of you guys remember Rock and Aaron group, and Rock was diagnosed with stage four cancer, and um, he was about my age, you know, early 40s, 
three kids, beautiful young family. And when he was going through this, in the latter stages, when things were looking really bad, a bunch of us went over to the hospital over here, the one off of 101 and Thomas, and they asked me to, to read something, and you know, I, I, I had brought my Bible, and, and I didn't really have anything in my head that I had prepared or anything, but I, so I just went to Psalm 27, the same psalm. And I read this passage, I read this first part about the army encamping against me. The whole idea is, the worst thing you could possibly throw at me, even in, the, even in the worst, even if a war breaks out against me, even if an entire army is coming after me, even then, I will be confident. And so I read those words in the hospital room. One of the guys that was there had flown in from Florida and was on Rock's um, football team. Rock had played college football. And he was just like kind of blown away. He said, he said, Tim, you obviously didn't know this, but he said, before every single game, our coach would read us that passage. And it had this like tremendous impact on him because it was like this, how, how random is that? Like quote unquote random, right? That in that moment, full of emotion, full of fear, they'd be reminded of this truth right then and there. That even in the worst case scenario, God is bigger. And the question is, do I, do I believe that? See, one of the cool things about this psalm is if you go in the history of it, there's a, an argument that says that it was a psalm that was used as part of a coronation. So every year, the king of Israel, the plan was that the king of Israel every year would read this psalm and be reminded, first of all, of confidence, because the king should have confidence, but also be reminded of his humility, because I have confidence that the Lord is God, but why do I have confidence? Uh, or, or why? Because he's God, so therefore, it's not because of me, it's because of him. It's interesting that July 4th is this weekend, and our country celebrates 240 years of our independence, and it's awesome, and I love that. I love all the flags flying. I'm a huge patriot. I love, I love what our country stands for. I love the principles it was built on. Like, I love that stuff, as, as do you. But I was reading a quote by a, a guy named Edmund Burke, who's an Englishman, several centuries ago. A guy named Os Guinness quotes him, and he says this about liberty. He says, the effect of liberty to individuals is that they may do what they please. We ought to see then what it pleases them to do. So in other words, the effect of liberty is that we can do what we please, so, let's, so for the people who get to do what they please, let's watch and see what it pleases them to do. And that, that quote struck me because now in our political landscape, now with the stuff that our country is, is dealing with and the issues and everything else, what are we doing with our liberty? And how amazing would it be if we had leaders in our country who could actually, in the same way that this psalm was read by the king every year to remind him, yes, to have confidence, but where that confidence comes from. So it's that beautiful paradoxical balance of, of confidence and humility because wouldn't it, wouldn't it be amazing, I was thinking, if, if our leaders as part of their platform, not that they would platform on a religious thing per se, but there would be a morality and an understanding rooted not in arrogance and not in pride and not in uh, false humility, but in a strength that says, you know what, no matter what I have to face, my, I do have confidence, but that confidence comes from the Lord and knowing that God is bigger than anything that could possibly come at us. Wouldn't it be amazing to have leaders like that in our country right now? be so cool. And so the intention was that, was that all the way up to the very top that this would be a psalm of a king. 
And it was written by a king, King David. But it would be something that would be traditionally a reminder all the time. These words like light and salvation and fortress. So he said, Lord, is my light. You see, in times of fear, what happens? The world starts to get dark, right? It starts closing in. You, start, you, start, you stop seeing options. You stop seeing everything starts to kind of close in around you. But when the Lord is my light, it gives me clarity. It gives me focus. I can see where I need to go. It's okay. Things clear up. My imagination doesn't run wild because I know what's there. When the Lord is my salvation, what it means there is deliverance. He's the one who rescues me. The Lord is my fortress. So he's the one that I hide behind when the bullets are flying. You know what I mean? And the arrows are flying. I get behind this fortress. I get behind this little um, barricade. And that's, that's God. God takes those shots for me. That's what he's saying. And because of that, bring anything on. That's why he said, hey, if a war rises against me, fine. I will be confident. Not because I think I have it all figured out, but because I really, really believe that God is bigger than all of that. You may not worry about a war rising against you, but you and I have low-grade fears that are always around us. What if I lose my job? What if I lose one of my children? What if I fail at everything I'm trying in life? What if, you know, even macro issues what if there's a terrorist attack or something like that? And all these things can produce this kind of low-grade fear that you almost forget's there because you've been living with it for so long. And I want to just challenge you to stop and say, wait a second. See, David plays, the, David plays the worst case scenario. Even if a war breaks out against me, even then I'll be confident. Even if the worst thing you can imagine happens, you will get through it. And not because of you, but because of him. And the question is, do you believe that? Now, in order to help us with this, it raises the question, how does that work in real life? Because it's easy to say, oh, don't be afraid. Okay, Tim said, you know, God's really big, so I'm not going to be afraid. Let's pray, and let's go light out fireworks. But it's more than that. We have to kind of dig down deeper. Because I, I like to just take everything a couple steps further. So what is that? How do I do that? How do I develop that skill, that ability to really embrace the idea that, that I don't have to be afraid because God is bigger than that? Like, what, is that? what does that look like in real life? And is it possible to develop that, or I just have to just talk myself into it? Well, um, a guy named Stephen Pressfield wrote a book called Gates of Fire, a novel. It's a brilliant novel. And in this novel, there's these Spartans, and they're talking to each other, and they're having this conversation because they know they have to go out and fight this suicide mission against the Persians. And so they're talking about fear. And the one guy says to the other guy, he says, or to the other guys he's leading, he says, I'm trying to figure out what the opposite of fear is. What, what is this opposite? Because if I can figure that out, then maybe I can conquer it. You know, I can conquer fear. And so they start giving all these options, you know? So like, is, is, is the opposite of fear just non-fear? They say, well, that can't be right because non-fear would just be like, that's ridiculous, that's nothing. And then so another one's like, well, is it, is it like just totally um, all adrenaline filled? Like that Tony Robbins conference, you know, where they, he has them walk on hot coals. Did you hear about this? To conquer their fear. So they, he has all these people go to their conference and then they're challenged to walk across hot coals. And they did this out in Dallas. And then like 20 of them had to go to the hospital because they burned their feet, <laughs> you know? That's like not a really good way to conquer fear, to actually do something that should make you more afraid. Like, I'm never doing that again, right? Afraid of anything hot at that point because you have these scars on your feet from burning yourself. But is it that? Is it just like, I'm going to go crazy and, uh, you know, run across hot coals? It's like, no, that, that's, that's not e it either. And then after this debate, they said, we've got to find a positive. We've got to find an, an equal and opposite positive to negate that, that negative of fear. 
And so finally, what they decide to do or what they've come up with as in, through their conversation is the opposite of fear must be love. That love is, is, is the positive force that you can grab onto that can, that can actually be the only thing that really drives out fear. And so if you take that logic, which absolutely, ab when I read that, I was like, well, that's so cool because the scripture talks about that all over the place. Now we look at the object of that love. So if I love my dog, you know, you're like, I love my dog. That's fine. You can love your dog. I don't really love me. My dog's okay. My dog bugs me a lot. Um, so I can't, I mean, I love my dog, I guess, but I don't know. He bugs. But anyway, so that's one level of love. But then if I say I love my wife, we know well, that's a totally different type of love. Why? Because we know that the order of that, that individual, that the object is higher, of a higher order. So of course, my wife is of course much more important and, and can extract much deeper levels of love out of me than my dog, clearly. And so then you even bring it up to God. And God is an infinite um, creator, an infinite being of, of beauty and everything else. Should not God then be able to extract the greatest amount of love out of me? And so what's really interesting about that is look what he says in verse 5. He says, um, one thing I, I'm sorry, verse 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Catch this. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And this leads me to the second truth of this psalm that can help us deal with fear, and that is this. The opposite of fear is love for God. If you want to become a less fearful person, love God more. He says, all I want to do is I want to be in the presence of God and gaze at his beauty. To think about him to be consumed with him, to love him, to carve out space where his truth, his words, his ways, his goodness, all of that just captivates me. Now here's the thing, as a Christian, do you know where you will ultimately end up? I mean, seriously, no matter what happens between here and there, your final destination for all of eternity is in the presence of God. And I can tell you something, without a shadow of a doubt, that when you see God for the very first time, he will be the most beautiful object, the most beautiful um, being, the most beautiful likeness you've ever, ever seen in your life, and you will be eternally captivated. Your, your breath will be taken away. Now the problem is, we don't necessarily believe that. So we don't go there when we're afraid because we think, ah, yeah, someday I'll see God and God's portrayed as kind of like an older version of us or a bigger version of us. He's got like a long beard and he's kind of like a grandpa, Santa Claus looking guy, you know. I mean, that's great. That's really attractive. You know what I'm saying? But God is this being that we have never, we were made to see him as this one guy, um, oh, what's his name? Um, I think it's Anselm. He says, I was made to see you, but I have not yet done that which for what I was made. So the very thing you were made to do, you haven't done yet. And someday when you see him and you gaze upon him, your breath will be taken away. For all of eternity, you will want to see more of him and more of him and more of him. He will never get old and never get boring. And David's like, man, when I, when I think about him and all of that, know that I'm going to be with him someday. All I want to do is be around him now, knowing that that's where I will end up. And that negates his fear. That makes everything else seem smaller 
to him. But do we really believe that to be in the presence of God will be better than anything we could ever have on earth? Better than, better than sex, better than having children, better than going to the movies, better than getting anything you could possibly want or keeping anything you currently have? That's a challenge. And David's saying, the reason I'm not afraid is it to live in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon his beauty, and I think about how great he is. And you know what? Nothing that could possibly happen to me can ever take that away from me. And we know this from like Romans chapter eight, and it's not on the screen, but Romans chapter eight talks about this, for I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor, nor demons, nor height, nor depth, nor anything created could ever separate me from the love of God because of Jesus. And these are things that, that have to kind of ruminate inside our hearts. And, you know, I say, well, Tim, how do you get there? And there's no magic bullet. You know what it is? It's just time and focus. It's just time and focus. Remember that movie Black Hawk Down that was out many years ago? Great movie. And I remember this one scene, and I'm sure this has been portrayed in other movies as well, but I remember this one scene where um, one of the troops was cornered and all these, all these um, villagers or, or guys were coming out and you thought he was going to get killed, right? He, he thought he's dead. He's, he's totally cornered. He's like laying in the corner uh, and he's like, he's wounded and everything else and these guys are coming and you're like, that's it, he's dead. And when he knows he's going to die or thinks he's going to die, what does he do? He pulls out, a, out of his wallet, he pulls out a picture of his family and he's staring at his wife and his kids because the only thing that helps take away his fear. He, what did he do? He focused on that which he loved. And when you're afraid, you need to focus on that which you love. And the greatest thing you could possibly love is God. The greatest being you could possibly love is God. When I'm afraid, I run to God. I think about him. I focus on him. And guys, I'm just telling you, everybody's got an orientation towards something. Everybody's got something that's occupying their mind, that's clarifying them, that's telling them who they are. And so there's no magic bullet except time and focus. Time and focus. And, and, and asking myself, am I thinking about what I'm thinking about? You know what I'm saying? Am I, am I critically thinking about the things that I'm accepting to be true? Do I ask myself, gosh, why do I not think about God very much? Do I ask myself, why do I, why is my heart not drawn towards God the way I wish it was? Do I ever ask myself why, as opposed to just going, well, I don't really feel very close to God. Why? 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 I'm not saying, and I'm, I'll tell you, in the last few weeks for me, um, it's weird. I've, I've told my wife, I said, man, I don't know what it is, but sometimes like, you know, we have a lot of things going on right now, and I'm kind of a, I'm, I love setting goals for myself, and I, I get in over my head sometimes with things, and, you know, I got this, we got this leadership summit coming up, and, and I got some Air Force stuff going on, and, and, you know, we're doing Saturday nights pretty soon here, and, and I just started feeling like kind of overwhelmed a little bit. I'm like, I don't understand. Like, wh why do I, I'm going through my day and I've just, I just feel like this thing creeping on me. It's weird because I'm not normally like that. And I was telling my wife about it and, and it's okay, fine, but none of these things are, are, are rational fears per se. So the question is, how much am I really giving this to God and gazing upon his beauty and, and realizing that God is for me. I, I mean, I know you think I'm, you know, I'm a pastor, so I probably know all these things. I don't. I, I, I have to remind myself constantly that God is for me because I believe a lot of times God's up there going, you know, like, just like with the fire. <laughs> Great job, Jacobs, you know. <laughs> you, you screwed up again. And, and so that's been, my, that's been like my life's war. You know what I'm saying? Is, is, is like feeling like God... <sighs> 
Anyway, so, so I have to remind myself that, um, that God's for me. I know he loves me, but in my earthly mind, in my, in my experiences in life, you know, in, in, in my own bent, I'm a guy that's like, I want excellence, I want things right, and so I just assume that God, that God feels the same way, and I have to remember his love for me. So, yeah. Um, anyway, you guys can bill me for the, the, uh, the therapy time here. Um, <coughs> so, listen to what he says in verse 5. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. And if you can get to that place in your life, you're golden. You see? You see that? He goes, he's convinced. He gets to that point where after he gazes upon the beauty of God, he goes, I know God's going to take care of me. I know he's going to provide for me. I know he's going to be my shelter. I just know that. I know that so much. I, even though I might have enemies all around me, I'm going to shout. I'm okay. If you can get to that place in your life, you're gold. And so one of the things I want to tell you is when God is big, my problems are small. It's really simple. I almost feel like this is, a, but it's, it's like true. I can't deny it. But when God is small, my problems are big. That's the thing. When, if your problems are, are overwhelming you, it's because your God's really small. And so yet at the same time, there's still a great struggle. And so my third point is this. You and I need to talk to God when it, when it feels like God is not there. Talk to God when it feels like God is not there. In other words, you wouldn't, you wouldn't like go into an empty room and talk to someone who wasn't there. People would think you're nuts. In fact, we were, I was at Dutch Brothers. We were at Dutch Brothers last night with some friends, Dutch Brothers Coffee. And there was a lady who was like walking around talking to herself and no one was there. I was like, that's weird. Okay, you, you, there's like evidence that something's wrong. So oftentimes we feel like God isn't there. We go, well, I don't want to talk to him. God wants us to talk to him even when it feels like he's not there. And David does it right here in verse 7 because all of a sudden in the, in the midst of this, he's still human. He's still struggling. He says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, do I seek, Lord? Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. By the way, what we just, what we just read, what you just read, when you're afraid and you're distraught, Rather than getting bitter, oh, God said he'd be here for me, and, you know, I feel like God's not there, and all that, I, I, I try and try and try. Don't do that. Pull out your Bible and just read this to God. Read what I just, hear, oh, Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious and answer me. Read that to God. Pray, make that your prayer to God. It's in the word of God, and it's there so you, to, to, for us to pattern ourselves after did he think that God was not there? No, he knew God was there. He just couldn't feel him right now. He couldn't see him right now. He couldn't sense him. And so, maybe you're in that same place. Maybe you got things that are just rattling around in your head and you're like, man, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Like, my life isn't what I thought it would be or things are going the, the way I want them to be and I just live with this fear. And so what I want us to do is... Um, if you would just 
I want us to all stand up. Can you stand up? Everybody stand up. It's good to stand up after you've been sitting for a while. It's good for your circulation. But it's also good because we're going to stand in the presence of God here. And what I want us to do is, um, I want you to think about things that maybe may your heart, make your heart sink. The truth is that things are a little bit bigger than you think that they are. And so, I'm going to read these, um, I want us to read these last two verses of the psalm out loud together. And when we read them, they'll be on the screen, and when we read them, I want you to, to read them to yourself. I want you to preach to yourself. Like every time I do this sermon, uh, any kind of sermon, I always say, because people say, yeah, that was a good sermon or whatever. Well, I had to go through me first. I had to throw myself against the wall. I had to preach to myself. And so I want you to say these words as though you're talking to yourself. Okay? And let's read this with confidence and with optimism and with full view of the things that maybe you're most afraid of right now. Let's read this together out loud. Verse 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Now I want you to remain standing. Now that, that's, see what he's doing at the very end is he's talking to himself and he's reminding himself, I shall believe, I believe I'll look upon the goodness of the Lord. I'm gonna, I'm gonna survive this in the land of the living. I'm gonna survive this. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna die. I'm not gonna be defeated ultimately. Wait for the Lord and be strong. Gabe's gonna lead us in a song in, in just a minute. And um, I, want, I wanna just remind you that God wants to be near us and he wants to be the one that, that takes away our fear, even when we're the ones who lit the fuse. Even when we're the ones who are maybe responsible for our own fear. Like, we're afraid because of something that we have taken part in. Maybe we're not 100% responsible, but if we're honest, like, we got ourselves into this mess. Sometimes we think, well, you know, it's my fault, I gotta deal with it. Even if it's your fault, God still wants to meet you there. And that's the reason for Jesus. You see, he came to pay for what we have done. And we don't understand that completely. But I want us to read this other verse out of 1 John 4.18. Okay, let's read this together out loud. Here we go. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The love of Jesus casts out fear. In other words, you don't have fear of judgment. You don't have fear of anything because your sins have been paid for on the cross. Remember, there's no injustice in eternity. No one who is innocent will, be, will face punishment. And if you're found in Jesus, then you're innocent. That's a beautiful thing. And that should give you confidence. There's nothing that is bigger than the God that you believe in. Let's pray together. God, we, we lay it down today. We lay down the things that we have elevated above you that frighten us, things that we think you can't deal with, things that we think have, I guess, overpowered you or maybe you don't care about. God, we know that we must be important to you or you would not have sent your son to this earth. We must mean everything to you or you would have not given everything for us. I pray on this Independence Day weekend that we would declare de dependence on you. 
that we would make a declaration of dependence on you. God, you got it. And you proved it because of your son, Jesus. There is no fear in love. God, I pray for a courageous church, courageous men and women who face a messed up, broken world, who face their own brokenness with resolve and courage because they have focused and know you so well and gazed upon your beauty. It's in his holy name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.